0: Welcome to Right Side of the Brain, the arts and health podcast created by Interact Stroke Support. Our guest this week is the critically acclaimed writer, playwright and screenwriter, Nell Dunn. Nell is known especially for a volume of short stories, Up the Junction, the novel Poor Cow, both of which were turned into seminal films in the late 1960s. Nell's most recent novel, Muse, a memoir of love at first sight, is now available at all good bookshops and internet sites. This interview was recorded during the period of the lockdown. Uh, Nell Dunn, a very, very warm welcome to Right Side of the Brain.
1: Thank you, Mary
0: yeah. Um So, Nell, if we could start at the very beginning, um, could we know a little bit more about you? Could you tell us about your childhood, where you were born, what your parents did for a living, etc.?
1: Yes. Um, I grew up beneath the Marlborough Downs in Wiltshire, and my parents were farmers. And so I grew up very much with dogs and ponies and animals all around me. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, my father took me to see Augustus John, the painter. Mm -hmm. And I immediately fell in love with the sort of bohemian atmosphere. And he did a drawing of me and and fed me pink marshmallows. And his lovely wife took me to pick strawberries. And she wore a straw hat and a long blue dress. And I thought, yes, this is the life. I don't want farm anymore. <laughs> I want the bohemian life.
0: So, uh, so uh, Nell, are you saying that had your father not taken you to see Augustus John, you may you may <laughs> have had a very, very different life indeed?
1: Yes, I think I am saying yes. I think we need our eyes opening to the different possibilities that life has to offer.
0: So, what were your early aspirations as as a younger person, Nell?
1: I think first, I wanted to be an art historian, and I went to the Courtauld Institute Mm -hmm. to study art history. Um, But then I let that go and started writing quite young. And um, it took me seven years of writing to get anything published. I just would send things in, and they'd come back. And in those days, you sent them in with a brown envelope and your address money and stamps for them to send back. Yeah. And that's what happened for a long time. But eventually I got something published and then I felt I was a writer and could devote my time to being a writer.
0: So when when you first started, now, when you were sending these stories uh, off to publishers and they were being sent back to you, were these short stories?
1: I wrote a, a, a television drama, which I was really pleased with and got sent back. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I wrote fiction pieces and I also wrote realistic pieces, which eventually became *Up the Junction*, my first book.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they were real, real life pieces about what was going on around me, and serious pieces. And mm-hmm. that's what I began to publish.
0: And and when did you uh, move from um, the Wiltshire countryside to South London?
1: Probably not till I was about twenty, and then uh, and then I got there quite by chance. It, you know, just found a little cottage that I fell in love with
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just and just moved, was determined to move.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I didn't want to be a, a housewife and the house I'd been living in was big and the expectation was well, I'd spend my time dusting, you know. And I thought I'd rather spend my time writing. I was always interested in reality and social realism, really. And there were a lot of, at, at that time, there were a lot of social realism painters around, like John Bradby mm. And I think I felt quite in tune with that social reality.
0: And Nell, and uh, was this during the time of what we know as, as kitchen sink drama with regards to theatre?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely that. But I started by writing stories of kitchen sink drama mm. and, and then moving, moving on. And it took me a long time to get to have a, a, a play on 1981 and i pub- first published in 63 so there's quite a big gap mm. and I sort of moved on to play
0: Nell, could you tell us about the your creative journey which led up to up the junction because I think that as I recall you actually worked in a sweet factory and um, if my memory served me right McCrindles sweet factories where the the, the, the three main uh, characters in in up the junction work so yes. so it was that the basis of of where up the junction came from your experiences of working there
1: in fact in Battersea there were lots of tiny factories at that time which is the end of the 50s um there was a butter factory and a sweet factory and a in, you know, these little factories. And it was a very lively place. There were, um the bet- betting on horses was illegal. But round every corner, you'd see a man making a signal, take a bet from you. And so it was quite, um I can't get the word when people go, transgressory mm. kind of thing, if that mm. word makes any sense. Yeah. And it was just so different from Wiltshire farm on the Wiltshire Down, beneath the Wiltshire Downs. It was such a different world that I got very enchanted by the use. sounds so pompous, that to say it, but by the use of language, it was so vivid.
0: Mm. It seems to me that, you know, when uh, I read Up the Junction and Poor Cow, um, that these two works are, are quite rightly regarded as, as very, very important pieces of work, seminal pieces, particularly in the exploration of of women's lives and especially working class women so could could you talk about this theme because it does seem to be a major element of your writing
1: yes well i'm i, I am a bit puzzled why i should be so caught up in working class women's lives i don't i don't think i have an answer but mainly it was the, i think i was attracted to the exuberance and the language and the uh, and the really the courage that um, that those women had to have fun and make you laugh and and
0: it's almost as if um, it's 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 a language of of its own that the, the the culture of nineteen sixties uh, you know working class London would would that be a fair uh, analysis?
1: Yes, and and. This ability to have fun seemed to me very, very precious. Like, you know, coming back from washing all the clothes together in the baths, in the municipal baths, there'd always be somehow some fun, you know, getting some fish and chips and sharing it, or very alive, I think, very alive. And, you know, the opposite to me was um, being very kind of pompous and. goody-goody and you know generally uptight.
0: Yes do, do you think part of that is economic and what I mean by that is that you know if you are um, you know a little bit more well off as a person you can plan you can save income for the future but if you don't have that much money you, you sort of live for the moment, so to speak.
1: Yes, I think that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. You just live for the moment and and make your fun as you go along. don't quite know how to put that better. But there's a sort of freedom. Uh, there's a sort of freedom which comes with spontaneity.
2: Mm, yes.
1: And, uh, it, it, you know, not. Not being full of rules, but and also an immense amount of timeness. Yes, I I encountered.
0: Now, yes. with regards to that uh, spontaneity and that sort of, you used a lovely word, you know, that sort of transgressive aroma, you know, that that that, that existed <laughs> in, in during that that time. Um, do, do, do you think that we've we've lost that, or, or do you think that that still permeates? you know, within within our culture?
1: I think we've lost it a bit, really. Yes, I do think we have. You know, people, are, I mean, life is extremely stressful if you haven't got any money. So I suppose putting your mind to, you know, having a good job and things is, is completely understandable and right. Yeah. I don't quite know.
0: I was just fascinated by, you know, your description of that sort of transgressive world where yes. p- people, you know, they're, they're not necessarily going to follow rules and follow no. orders and stuff like that. And I was just wondering whether we still, I find that quite exciting because it pushes the envelope, you know, yes. and, and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's quite creative in, in, in many ways. A lot of creativity comes from there. and And so I just wonder whether we've lost something of that.
2: Well,
1: there is a, there always was a kind of finger-pointing, disapproving um, person. If you see what I mean. Mm. So I don't think. I mean, I think we go on battling to to, to make our lives livable, really. And, and and part of that is 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 having fun and 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 having fun with each other and making each other laugh. Mm. Um so I don't think it's gone completely but
0: no I I I'm I'm very keen to get your op- opinion because you you've written so beautifully uh, uh, particularly about the lives of women I'm very keen to know do, do you feel that the depiction of women within the arts has has changed for the better since since you started writing
1: I'm not sure I I cannot answer. I'm not sure I know Daisy mm. um I did read. I mean, just talking about individual books. Um, I read Deborah Orr's book "Mother Well" about growing up tough working class background in north of England, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I think those lives are still going on, really, and and possibly more and more as you go further north.
0: I, I was I was wondering, you know, in in terms of uh, say the uh, empowerment of women, do you feel that they are there's more women now in positions of power within the arts?
1: Well, I think there definitely are. But um, women are always going to have it in a difficult difficult space because, you know, they want their babies and they want to look after their babies. Mm -hmm. And therefore, to a certain extent, they've got to find a man who's prepared to support that. And that that is one of their chief aims in life.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, to, to find someone who... Want to have babies with them, and mm. we'll, we'll we'll look after them while they while they have them. Yeah. So it's never completely straightforward. But I think women have come a long way. Yes, in in getting. I mean, I wish that I wish that they somehow band together and stop the um, stop them throwing aggression into their lives. And men treat them badly. That's still not sorted.
0: Yeah. Could could I ask you, as someone who's who's um, you know a very well respected writer, w- were you always a reader?
1: I was a reader. I was a terrific reader. Uh huh. From about thirteen, I suppose. Uh huh. Um, there's nothing to do in the country once you've ridden your pony and you know tidied up the done your with the hens.
0: Well, yeah. There's 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 cows to milk. No, yeah, no. Those eggs to sort out, and...
1: exactly. And yeah. the dairy floor to yeah. hose down. Yeah,
0: yeah. The, yeah the pigs yeah. to swill, and you know, there's a lot of work to be done.
1: <laughs> there's a lot,
0: of, and, a lot of work to be done, but then, not much.
1: Uh, not, not much brain, brain work.
0: <laughs> uh, did you have? Did you have any any favourite authors?
1: Well, I think I read the classics. You know, I read the you know good old George Eliot and. Mm-hmm. And Jane Austen and I, I loved the classics.
2: Yeah. that I read. Yeah.
1: And, and and funnily enough the Russian classics
2: too
1: mm. uh, in translation. I didn't yeah. speak Russian, but I love them. I no, I love reading.
0: I, I did a podcast with um the writer Alan McCormick and I uh, Alan. yeah. And and uh, I asked him if he was a big reader and he said no. And oh, I, really I, yeah, I'm, I'm always fascinated by whether writers were, were big readers before they became writers. Could you tell us about how your work became converted to film and television, particularly how, how did the collaboration with Ken Loach come about?
1: Collaboration with Ken Loach came about because a friend of mine called Christopher Logue, dead now, a poet, had a play on at the Royal Court called Lily White Boys and I used to hang about a bit at the Royal Cork so I was also in love with theatre.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Christopher had a, a composer friend called Stanley Miles who'd worked with Ken um, at the BBC and he thought Christopher and he thought Ken should read it and do it up the junction that was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so um, they gave it to Ken and um, he hadn't actually directed a film before but it was August and everybody was away, so he thought he'd managed to put, get it in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was all done
0: very quickly. Ken Loach's directorial debut is is Nell Dunn's Up the Junction. That's right.
1: Oh, that's That's, right. That, that's and, a good feather in was, your cap, Nell. It was, it was a very, it was a very happy time. You know, I, I show him all the little locations in Up Junction mm-hmm. that Him filming, and. And we just got on with it. I I wrote the I wrote the thing and he directed it and it was fun. You know, well, we were both quite kind of young and free. If you know what I mean, you yeah. know, just not burdened by heavy. And the BBC was all on holiday because it was August. So and Carol was great and it was fun. And I think it has a sense of fun at the junction. However dark it is at moments, it also has a sense of fun with it with the girls. <laughs>
0: Could you tell tell us about the genesis of Poor Cow?
1: Well, Poor Cow, um, I've just written a book um, called The Muse, which has just come out last week, mm-hmm. and it's about uh, meeting the um, young woman who was to be- become Poor Cow in in the book. So the book is really about her and and her adventures. Mm. I don't quite know why it's got it's got to be it's got to be in the hundred books. Finally, age but um but yes it's sort of it's based on a particular real and i became more and more real life you know as my writing went on i was more and more interested in capturing reality
0: mm. this is this is the central character you're talking
1: about a book neige i are talking about a book i wrote 50 years ago i can't totally remember
0: it is such a seminal piece of work which was then turned into another film i believe yes um, I yes. th- think in about sixty-seven, sixty-eight, or something like that.
1: 67,
0: I think it was 67. And was it, Around was it then. Uh, Carol White and, and Terence Stamp? Am I right? Yes. Those two. Well, one thing I, I have been fascinated by is, and you did briefly mention this earlier, why was there such a huge gap between the beginning of your writing career and the beginning of your playwriting career?
1: Oh, I think I know what, what it was. I wrote three books um, which were failures in that they didn't do at all well and that's when I decided to write a play and I then wrote I then wrote Steaming. So I'd written three books actually in between that, that, that were not were not right. But I think that's probably part of most writers' journeys. They go down a path which you know nobody likes. I and mean, in that's why I thought, Well, blow this I'm gonna write a play
0: And where did the idea come from?
1: The idea for, for seeming. Well, I was quite involved in they were shutting down the bars in, in in Fulham. And I got incensed with rage about that because it was a real working class meeting place where people went to do their laundry mm. and have a bath. Mm. They were lovely kind of wooden cubicles with great big bars. And you had a proper bath, you know.
2: Mm. And
1: people didn't have proper baths in their houses. Not everybody. I mean, obviously, some people did and um and it was a place to get together, and the old people got together there, and it seemed terrible and actually they built a horrible swimming pool, so very plasticy and that was closed down because it was too expensive to run. So that lovely old-fashioned one
0: yes, this is the story of the women who basically decided to fight against the closure That's right. of that of that particular steam room yeah
1: I went to lots of council meetings and, and got this you know got the gist and then and then to the play from. Once again, some real information.
0: Yes. You wrote a fantastic play now, if you don't mind me saying, called Lost and Found, um, which is a, a play about stroke.
1: Oh, thank you, Nergé.
0: Um, I, and so I, I wanted to ask you uh, about that because I found it very, very informative for myself, particularly what people find about themselves after they've had a stroke. I've I've heard this said to me, so many times from Stroke Survivors and I always think of your play and how it it really resonated with so many of us I'm I'm very interested first how did you get involved initially with Interact and what made you write that particular play?
2: Well
1: I got involved with Interact um, because Caroline Smith Mm -hmm. directed a play of mine in Ipswich a play called Sisters
2: Mm -hmm.
1: where two sisters shoot their father Mm -hmm. and she did a most fabulous production and and then a little bit later on she said would I like to join in with Interact mm. so that's how it happened.
0: And, and tell us about Lost and Found now.
1: And Lost and Found came about because Caroline said would I write something for Interact mm.
2: um,
1: and and I wrote Lost and Found. I mean I remember meeting people who'd had strokes
2: mm.
1: and trying to understand what it was like mm and Lost and Found, mm. and then writing Lost and Found about what it was like,
0: really. I think I saw it read at uh, Tristram Bates Theatre. That's and, uh, right. And I remember so many people, particularly people who had had a stroke, saying how much it resonated with them.
1: Ah, oh, that's lovely to hear, Neysha. It really means a lot.
0: Nell, tell us about your latest work, The Muse.
1: Well, The Muse is really about Josie, she's called, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Character I met in 1963 or something. Who's
0: the so, central character of Poor Cow?
1: It was the character of Poor Cow. Yeah. And so I wrote a story around around her life, really, and it seemed to hit some kind of nerve because people liked it, you know. Mm. But but actually, it's fairly simple. It just follows the life of a working class a young working class woman who has the gift of the gab. Really, she's got a, a way of talking about. It. And she's the center of her life, too, that's the other thing, she's very important to herself. That's always interested me, slightly narcissistic. It's often quite lights people up, you know, because they're sort of fascinated by themselves. Yes. And it's quite interesting, yeah because, you, you, you know, it's against the rules, you're not meant to be narcissistic. <laughs> you know, it's quite, she, so she's... I found her interesting.
0: Put it that way. Uh, th- this came out a couple of weeks ago, didn't it, Nell? We're, we're, we're recording this um, uh, still during the period of the partial lockdown. The Muse is out at the moment. People can get the Muse at you know all good bookshops. They can get it online via uh, Amazon, etc. Um, what What is the next thing that Nell Dunn is looking to explore?
1: I think she's resting on the sofa. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: oh, I don't know, is the answer. I really don't know. I'm quite tired, you know. Yeah. I'm quite old. And maybe I've got to just sort of hang out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's. Go
1: to book clubs and that's, have a nice time.
0: That's absolutely fair enough. Fair enough.
1: Eat ice cream.
0: <laughs> well, Nell, uh, you are a com- a complete inspiration. Uh, to so many of us, um, you are such a wonderful writer uh, and you have been a real stalwart and champion of, of Interact. So thank you so much for agreeing to uh, this particular podcast for Right Side of the Brain.
1: Well, actually, I would just like to say that um, Interact has meant an awful lot to me and has you know done a huge amount to me.
0: So thank you for having me. Oh, it's a a real pleasure. That was Nell done. For more information on our work, please do visit our website at www.interactstrokesupport.org. And if you're feeling generous, please do click on the big red donate button. We very much look forward to your company on the next edition of Right Side of the Brain.